The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. ESG has become established as a key theme as companies and investors seek to navigate the climate crisis, energy transition, social megatrends, mounting regulatory attention, and pressure from other stakeholders. The rapidly evolving landscape has become inundated with acronyms, buzzwords, and lingo. And we aim to break these down with industry experts. Welcome to ESG Currents, brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence, your guide to navigating the evolving ESG space one topic at a time. I'm Eric Kane, Director of ESG Research for Bloomberg Intelligence, and I'm your host for today's episode. On this episode, we're talking about the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference, more commonly referred to as COP28. COP wrapped up last week in Dubai, and there were certainly some noteworthy outcomes. For the first time, the summit called for a transition away from fossil fuels. This is being viewed as historic by some because fossil fuels were named as the primary climate problem for the first time, and as a failure by others as it fell short of calling for a phase-out. Other key outcomes included a call to triple renewable energy capacity by 2030, and a reiteration of the need to reduce emissions by 43% by 2030 and 60% by 2035 compared to a 2019 baseline. We also saw the launch of the much-talked-about loss and damage fund, various methane pledges, and an inability to achieve consensus on an international carbon offset trading system. We were on the ground in Dubai and had a chance to talk with numerous experts from a range of different backgrounds. For the first half of today's episode, you'll hear some of these conversations and people's hopes for the conference. In particular, you'll hear from Jeff Sternberg, who is a technical director for the Office of the CTO for Google Cloud. You'll hear from Linda Eling Lee, who is the founding director and head of the MSCI Sustainability Institute, and from Angela Humsey, who is the founder of Ignite Power. Our conversations really focused on their impressions of COP, what they hope to achieve, and what they hope the conference would achieve. For the second half of the episode, Shaheen Contractor, our senior ESG strategist here at Bloomberg Intelligence, will join me and we'll discuss our views on some of the outcomes that we discussed earlier and ultimately how these announcements could influence corporate and investor behavior in the year ahead. We are here on the ground at COP28 with Jeff Sternberg from Google. Uh, Jeff was wondering if you could tell us uh, your role at Google to start. Yeah, thank you. Um, my name is Jeff Sternberg. I'm uh, in Google Cloud. I'm in a team in, in the cloud division of Google that's called the Office of the CTO, or Octo. 
So we're a group of uh, former chief technology officers and engineering leaders that work with brands um, and with teams in Google uh, on collaborative innovation type of experiments and uh, rapid prototyping. And we focus on emerging technology themes uh, that are of interest to um, you know, the, the customers and brands that we work with and partners. Um, and sustainability and climate has become one of those key themes that we've really invested in. And so that's my, that's my day to day, thinking about how can we apply uh, technology to helping to solve climate challenges. Fantastic. So definitely not the kind of common role that we typically see or, or hear about here at, at COP. So wondering kind of what you personally hope to accomplish here at COP and then maybe as a follow up, what you ultimately would like to see come out of the COP at the end of the, the two weeks. Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer this kind of from a personal perspective. Um, so this is my first COP. Um, and so I am on day four, I think, here. And uh, <laughs> you it's know, hard to keep track. It is hard to keep track. And I'm, uh, you know, really blown away by just the, the size, the energy, uh, the complexity, um, you know, the heat, uh, <laughs> things that are, uh, that are challenging to navigate. But um, as I understand it, this is one of the largest, if not the largest so far, COPs. Um, so really hoping to, you know, meet interesting people like yourself um, and connect with, um, with partners and customers. Uh, one of the things that we're doing uh, to support Bloomberg is actually um, uh, maybe a little known fact, but the Net Zero Data Public Utility or NZDPU um, has just been launched um, by Bloomberg and, and uh, that's actually running on the Google Cloud. Um, platform. So, you know, supporting uh, partners uh, is a key pillar of our sustainability strategy. And, and so that's, you know, what I'm hoping to achieve is just more um, enablement of, of, you know, um, of kind of climate excellence or climate uh, impact, um, you know, through the use of, of things like cloud computing, um, artificial intelligence, geospatial analytics, all those good things. Absolutely. I, I have a feeling this will be the first of many conversations. Um, so you That's mentioned right. <laughs> a couple uh, keywords in terms of the, the energy uh, here at, at COP, the size of it, even the heat. If you had kind of one sentence to, to summarize the COP28, uh, what might that be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I think um, what I would say is it's, this COP is, is really focusing on turning data into action. Um, uh, we've seen with the kind of the first global stock take, um, actually, you know, uh, uh, things like emissions uh, data being, you know, reported and collected. And now, now we kind of know where we are. And um, I think, you know, the scientific community is, is um, really leaned into where, where we need to be, where we need to go. And now it's about implementation. It's about putting these things into action. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's... Uh, one of the, the phrases we use a lot at, at Bloomberg is, is face the data and, and take action. It's something that I think is uh, resonating around the ESG and climate space. So certainly uh, could not agree more that that is you know, the next step. So Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time to sit out in the heat with me and, and chat for a bit. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Great. So I'm here on the ground at COP28 in Dubai with Linda Elling Lee from MSCI. Linda, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me on this very busy, busy day. Uh, just for our audience, I'm wondering if you could just tell us your name and your role. 
I'm Linda Ealing Lee, and I am the head of MSCI Sustainability Institute. Wonderful. And Linda, what do you ultimately hope to accomplish here at COP28? Well, we're a COP in part because this year is the global stock take. And the Sustainability Institute has been supporting the UNFCCC in monitoring the progress of the companies, the publicly listed companies um, in uh, the listed markets that actually contribute to about 20% of global emissions. Um, And while the COP is very focused on country level progress and what's been done as well as what's going to happen going forward, you know, we of course are very focused on companies and um, and what we hope to accomplish is to be able to highlight the fact that companies actually have actually made a lot of progress um, in the previous five years and since the Paris Agreement. However, there are some roadblocks because what we see in terms of projecting forward um, their decarbonization rates, um, there's going to be a bit of a slowdown, you know, so we're here to try to um, help unpack that and try to maybe bridge some of the differences to see what it is that finance can do, what it is that industry can do, and what it is that policymakers can do to actually accelerate the decarbonization and and not lead to a deceleration, which is really the last thing we need at the moment. Absolutely. And I I couldn't agree more. Um, And obviously, I think you and I are, are pursuing similar uh, work so uh, always, always, and we go way back, and we certainly do go way back. Uh, <laughs> it's really yeah. a pleasure to see you here. Yes, likewise uh, for for our listeners, Linda and I first started working together uh, at Innovest Strategic Value Advisors back in 2006. So it's been veterans, uh, been a Pioneers. long time, um, and we actually had not seen each other in quite some time. So wonderful to reconnect. So you mentioned, of course, you know the fact that we have seen some progress. There's concern that that progress is slowing. We need to accelerate the progress. With that in mind, what do you ultimately hope is achieved at this COP? I think that, you know, and I'm optimistic in some ways because the conversations that have that been happening on the ground, both on stage and also um, in more closed-door sessions, is very much a focus on transition and transition finance and what different types of innovative financing um methods could actually try to unblock some of the, uh, the investments that are required. So I do feel like this focus on transition um, is, um, is an improvement over, mm-hmm. I think, previous, um, previous COPs where it's very much more binary view of looking at green versus brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a focus on scale. Um, I don't think anyone's come up with the right um, recipe, if you will, but at least this focus on scalability and what can actually scale um, some of the innovations that are now probably commercially available, but not yet commercially competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is, what is actually needed to, to scale those so that we can actually, especially tackle the hard to abate sectors. Um, and then finally, I think what we're very focused on, and I think that the, um, the various cops have actually made um, improvements on is around data mm-hmm. and measurement. Um, yeah. We've seen these huge improvements in terms of um, the ISSB and other standards, um, really kind of building that integrity as well as um, launches of certain um, collaborations like the Net Zero Data Public Utility, where um, I think the world is going to be able to have a really great resource in, in the raw data that we really ultimately need um, to to bring some clarity um, to, and provide some information so that investors um, can actually properly price the, the climate risks that, are, that, that we know will only escalate. Um, so yeah, so I think that in terms of ultimately what I'd like to see happen is actually 
um, continued progress. You know, mm-hmm. I, I do feel like there's always this um, this hope with COP that there's going to be some major, huge breakthrough that solves everything. Um, maybe I'm more of a pragmatist. I'd like to see that some of the things, for example, the commitments that were already made um, around methane, around yeah. coal, and so forth, that we take that, that next step, you know, to expand the scope or to actually focus on the how to get there part of it. Sure. Um, and so those are the kinds of things that, that I really look for for progress at COP. Absolutely. Yeah, and you mentioned... Uh, Methane, I think that's one thing that uh, I've been very encouraged by so far in terms of the major announcements that, that have come out. Um, so obviously a very important step uh, for the U.S. oil and gas uh, sector anyway. So I think for our listeners who are not with us here in Dubai, there's often a lot of kind of mystery surrounding COP. It kind of sometimes gets compared to uh, Burning Man or other you know, crazy <laughs> festivals. If you were to try to sum up COP, in a sentence or two for our listeners who are not here. How might you do that, Linda? Well, the setting for this COP does feel a little strange for some people. I think that Dubai has certainly, you know, uh, very impressively built out quite a large area in both the blue zone and the green zone. And I think that um, the attendees are all quite um, impressed, but also um, the scale of this place is really quite quite amazing. I don't know quite how to sum it up in one uh, in one sentence, um, but I think that there is a fair bit of hope, right? So so I do feel like being constructive. Um, I think that I could say that halfway through COP at the moment, I'm I'm quite hopeful that something big happens. Excellent. Yes, hope is is good and needed at this point, and I would agree. There is a general sense of optimism here, which I think is is exciting. So Linda, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. It was wonderful catching up, wonderful having a chance to hear your thoughts. Really great to see you, Eric. Wonderful. Thanks again. I'm joined right now by Angela Humsey. Uh, Angela, I'm wondering if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your organization and your role within the organization. Hi, Eric. Thank you for having me today. So I'm the co-founder and the president of Ignite Power. At Ignite, we develop and install infrastructure technologies that are decarbonized, digitized, and entirely democratized for the base of the pyramid in the global south. Fantastic. And Angela, um, is is probably going to be modest, but I'm going to bring up the fact that uh, Ignite Power was given a major award a couple nights ago, the Zayed Sustainability Award for uh, Energy. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. First, we're really excited and very honored about, about the award. Um, we've been at, working at Ignite for the past nine years, and this type of recognition is just a massive boost to, to all of our team for the everyday hard work that they're doing on the ground in the countries where, where, we're, where we're operating across um, across Sub-Saharan Africa and beyond. Um, the award is as well, obviously, like a very, um, very um, very interesting reward, the fact that it's coming in the beginning of COP28, mm-hmm. uh, that it as well the year of sustainability of the UAE this year. Uh, so it feels like it was really the, the best start um, to, um, to the COP28 uh, weeks, uh, starting on that footprint and being able to have interaction with obviously like stakeholder here on the ground that can really make a difference to the work that we do. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's a phenomenal way to start. Um, but then I guess, um, you know, maybe the, the rest of the time may be a little bit disappointing compared to that? Hopefully not. So curious to hear what you ultimately hope to accomplish, you know, other than winning that award, what you hope to accomplish uh, 
throughout the, the rest of the COP? Sure. Look, at Ignite, like our bread and butter of what we've been doing for many years is to to really provide like solar power in a distributed way to country at national scales um, in sub-Saharan Africa. And we do it for homes, like residential power. We do it for businesses. We do it for healthcare, uh, rural healthcare units. With the award, we're expanding actually to schools oh, across the continent. And on top of giving power, we, we give other what we call life-enabling infrastructure, and that includes internet today. Um, today, not having access to internet for billion people in Africa, uh, where the cost of data is absolutely extortionate so that no one really truly have access to it, is really like something hindering growth, education, health, and so many other SDGs. So now we're bundling both solar and internet and giving it not only to residential and business, but providing as, as well to units like schools across, across the continent. Um, what we aim to achieve at COP is, is to really scale massively what we're doing. So we already reach about two and a half million people today in 10 countries. The goal is to now accelerate that massively. Uh, we have everything working fine. The technology, the operations, the results, um, the, the traceability of what we do and the verification of what we do is all going seamless. So now the goal is to get to 100 million just in a few years. Um, and that's obviously an ambitious goal that requires a lot of different types of innovation. One of which is, as well, financial and market and industry innovation. And we're, we're delighted to announce as well that on top of this beautiful award that we got on the first day, we actually got another award yesterday, uh, working together with Convergence and CPI to really design a very innovative and I think um, pretty revolutionary for the field of distributed renewable energy financing schemes that will help us bring the scale that we need to see for SDG 7. Amazing. So, Angela, obviously you've accomplished a tremendous amount uh, at COP already. There's time left in the session, and it sounds like you have you know, great plans to accomplish more, not only during these couple weeks, but well beyond in terms of some of the targets that you mentioned, which are absolutely impressive and phenomenal. I'm curious to hear from you kind of your, your view and your hopes in terms of what the COP will achieve at large. So I think this COP has already had quite a little bit of focus on the Global South, and this is very welcome. And there's been quite a few announcements. Uh, but similarly to last year when you know we're in Sharm el-Sheikh and now this year in Dubai, um, I just hope that there is a little bit more accountability in terms of making sure that those announcements don't stay announcements. Uh, there's been a lot of different you know, funds, initiatives that have been uh, proposed and announced over the years. And working myself very much on the ground and seeing how slow some of the scalability around some of the SDGs have, have gone, um, we want to see that this announcement actually really flow down to executions, to coming uh, down to the projects that are really doing the work on the ground, and that they do that rather quickly. Uh, we have a very deep sense of urgency and having every time like, you know, 2020 target that becomes a 2030 target that God knows what comes next um, is not something that is acceptable anymore. And at the beginning of the week, I was actually speaking at a student, a very large student conference here. If we don't really move to proper execution with accountability and making sure that we do that with urgency, don't expect the next generation to look favorably at us. Uh, we have a very big duty to accelerate all the work that we're doing, both for decarbonization in general, but as well for emerging markets that we're supporting into a green growth path. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So I think, you know, for our listeners, COP can sometimes be a little bit of a mysterious event. It sometimes gets compared to uh, music festivals or, or other things. So if you were able to summarize 
COP in a couple sentences, your experience at, at COP. Uh, how might you do that, Angelo? That's an interesting question. Um, so I, I think COP is a lot of people coming together to say what they're doing and a lot of time a bit too much about saying about what they're doing and not really listening to what others are doing. So I think there's a lot of silos still at COP. But at least this is, what, for me, the main, the main impact of COP is actually always putting like sort of a date for people to activate whatever project they were working on so that they can come and actually talk about it. Absolutely. <laughs> so for me, it's a kind of a, a good trigger that you can look forward to as like a catalytic, catalytic date where people have to really like, you know, uh, move to like, you know, signing those documents and start putting their foot on the ground to actually doing the work. And in that sense, this is useful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're the, the first person to, to make that point. I think that's exactly right. Um, oftentimes there's a ton of research that's time to coincide with COP announcements, etc. So I, I think that's exactly right. Well, Angela, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us here uh, in the sun in uh, Dubai. Thank you very much for having me. Shaheen, uh, always such a pleasure to sit down and chat. As we discussed a little bit earlier in the episode, there were a lot of really exciting announcements that came out of this year's COP. I'm curious to hear your opinion on ultimately which you thought were the most important developments or announcements. Eric, you're right. There were so many announcements and developments, I think. It's hard to choose from, but the one that resonated with me was one called the Industrial Transition Accelerator. And this was one that aims to catalyze decarbonization across heavy industries. So think in a cement, steel or transport. And the reason this sort of intrigued me so much is because from our research, we find that ESG funds tend to avoid these resource intensive sectors. So if you think of cement and steel these are the ones that are the hardest right to decarbonize but they seem to be just left out of ESG funds and for example we found that the median ESG fund inclusion rate for cement and steel was half that of an industry like building materials which you know all within the material sector right. but two very intensive one slightly less intensive so hence I feel like ESG funds tend to you know move capital away from industries that need it the most. That's why this excited me. I, I know this is, you know, an accelerator, you know, how this shows up in ESG funds, who knows, but right. I'm, I'm trying to evaluate as to whether that sort of trickles down, I guess, mm -hmm. in any way. Right. Yeah, I think that's that idea of, you know, kind of trickling down or ultimately coming to fruition is always the key question coming out of COP, right? We hear a lot of exciting announcements. Obviously, there's you know, typically nothing legally binding behind the announcement. So the question is always really how these things ultimately translate into national policy, corporate behavior, and then uh, investor behavior too, which, which obviously yeah. you're alluding to. Super. What about you, Eric? You were at COP, you were on the ground. What are, you know, your most exciting announcements or initiatives? Yeah, um, there was a lot of buzz on the ground during the the time that I was there about what the final announcement would ultimately look like. Um, of course, there was a lot of speculation that we would have an agreement on a phase out of fossil fuel um, 
and ultimately that did not come to fruition, as we mentioned in the, in the beginning. Ultimately, the language suggested kind of a, a transition away from uh, fossil fuels, which I think a lot of people rightfully point out allows for some loopholes and some uncertainty with respect to you know how uh, nations and businesses uh, are ultimately going to transition away from fossil fuel. With that said, I think it was an important development, especially considering some of what we were hearing at the time in terms of certain nations wanting to prevent any mention of fossil fuels from being in the final uh, announcement. So the fact that that was mentioned and it was specifically kind of mentioned as the cause of the climate problem, I think that was ultimately pretty impactful. Um, so we'll, we'll, of course, see, as we were discussing before, ultimately how these things translate into policy and whether it actually translates into, you know, the, the type of uh, carbon ambition that we need, you know, pretty soon. That's true. And you said that a f- there was a lot of talk on a phase out and that was sort of, you know, what was expected. That's interesting because, you know, there are many sort of two sides of it. And the way I think about it is that, you know, this was the first time that fossil fuels came to the agenda, at least in, in yep. a way. So it's almost like an in-between. Right. I think there's so much loophole, especially I think the text later on talks about transition fuels. Exactly. And when, when anyone says transition fuels, I'm like, hmm, I can name 10 things. I mean, I'm, I'm joking, right. but you yep. can go from natural gas to hydrogen to a range of different things. So I agree on, you know, many loopholes. I think sitting here in the US, at least personally, this was, you know, just the mention of fossil fuels was, I think, more than I had expected, Mm -hmm. to be honest. There was a lot of debate, you know, about this being held in Dubai, this, you know, having people at the table that we haven't had before, which is a great thing. But to me, it, I, I think this was beyond what I expected. And I was saying that's a good thing, but it was. I don't know your thoughts there. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I, I don't think it goes far enough. Um, but at the same time, as you said, um, you know, certainly beyond what I expected to, to come out. So that that is, I, I guess, can be viewed as a positive. Yeah. yeah. And then what about the the global stock take, right? We, we all recognize that we're very far from this 1.5 degree ambition. Yep. How do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think, you know, it's one of the areas of of research that we, of course, focus on here at uh, Bloomberg Intelligence with our BI Carbon product is trying to really understand um, less at a national level, but more at the corporate level, you know, what companies are actually doing to transition and whether those goals, uh, those efforts are in line with a 1.5 degree scenario, if that's even possible. So, you know, as we've discussed on the program in the past, we have a universe of about 420 companies that we focus on to date that's responsible for about 50% of emissions from publicly listed companies. And what we see in that group is that only about a third, and we're talking about companies, again, in the most carbon-intensive industries like utilities, oil and gas, cement, uh, airlines, et cetera, only a third of those companies have targets for 2030 that are in line with a 1.5 degree scenario. So when we see the results of this kind of global stock take that uh, was done at COP28, and we see ultimately one of the key findings being that ambition is not you know, strong enough to date and that 
countries are basically being asked to accelerate um, and to enhance their nationally defined contributions over time, you know, to me, that wasn't a surprise. I think it's very much in line right. with our research that, yes, there's some ambition. Ambition continues to, to mount, if you will, but it's still well short of what we need in order to stay in line with a 1.5 uh, scenario by 2030. So that's true. So I want to dig a little more into the company piece of things. From, Is it right to say that companies have been setting these goals for the past five or so years? Yeah. So I'm wondering what extent to which you know we go from zero to like 100 degrees. So I'm curious, is ambition increasing? You know, do we expect them to be suddenly, yes, 1.5 degree, or is there sort of a gap in the middle and we, we think companies you know, will keep reiterating and keep strengthening their goals to get there? It's a really good question, and I'm not sure we have the answer. I will say we've definitely seen, as you said, Shaheen, over the last you know five or so years, we've seen an overwhelming increase in ambition with respect to carbon targets at the corporate level. So one way to measure that would be just to look at you know the um, prevalence of net zero targets, and these are sure. typically by 2050. Um, but I would say you know when you and I started working together back in 2018, net zero targets were not that common. Certainly, you know in these very carbon intensive industries. Now, when we look across the board, um, I would say a majority of companies in all the industries that we look at for um, BI Carbon, for example, have set net zero targets. I think the question, of course, is you know in the interim, are they going to do enough to allow us to keep uh, in line with a 1.5 degree trajectory? Again, if that's even even possible, um, and I think one of the challenges that we have, and one of the things that we see. You know, companies, uh, of course, coming up against in different industries, is that we still don't have alternatives available at scale, right? So it becomes a little bit industry specific. Where if we think about something like a power company, a utility, we have the technology available to transition, and we see a lot of ambition, of course, in uh, utilities in Europe, for example, and increasingly so in in the U.S. If we think about airlines, for example, sustainable aviation fuel is a proven technology, but it's not available at scale. So even though companies are setting ambitious targets, and you know, you might say some of them are even in line with a 1.5 degree scenario by 2030, it's hard to imagine the whole industry being able to transition fast enough, given the fact that the alternative just doesn't exist at scale at this point, and we're you know fast approaching that 2030 kind of deadline. And that's true. And I think speaking of ambition, what you said about the resource-intensive sectors resonates. I remember looking at RBI carbon analysis for metals and mining, and I think back in 2022 when we created our scores, if I remember right, the number of companies setting carbon reduction goals had increased to 75% mm -hmm. from, I think the number is 35% the previous year, so 2021 versus 2022. So there was that huge jump in yep. the number of companies setting goals. But then when I looked to in another industry like cement, right, very resource intensive, hard to abate. The last time we did the analysis, I think this was 2021, there was one company that was in line with the IA temperature line benchmark. Right. One out of 17, I believe. Now it's three. Yep. So, 
you know, a little bit of creep up in ambition, but still one to three is not groundbreaking, but it's still slow and steady progress. I think when it comes to these hard to abate sectors, as you mentioned, you know, the technology is not proven. I still remember from the IEA, it says that most of reductions post-2030 are still to be feasible, still to be found, still right. to be evaluated. And that becomes tricky. So you mentioned airlines. How are airlines reducing or how are some of the resource intensive sectors targeting this? Is it they believe in the technology or are they using offsets? Yeah, I think it's a, a combination of the two. So there's definitely an effort to ramp up, you know, for airlines, sustainable, sustainable aviation fuel production. Uh, we've seen a lot of interesting announcements, not only from the airlines, but some of the oil and gas companies, uh, some some other uh, kind of intermediaries that are getting involved in the space. Um, but at the same time, for airlines, when we do our analysis, one of the things that we look at is reliance on offsets, for example, and whether companies in their carbon strategies say they have to rely on offsets to achieve at least a percentage of, of their reductions. And for airlines, it's an overwhelming you know percentage of the, the companies that are basically relying on offsets. And there's even you know the international um, accord basically between airlines uh, that establishes the use of, of offsets specifically for that for that industry. So I think uh, airlines is, is kind of a unique case. And then, you know, in something like utilities, again, as I mentioned before, where the technology is more available, we see less reliance on offsets. And then for industries like oil and gas, um, perhaps chemicals, it falls somewhere in between. Maybe that brings up the important question of offsets. Yes. So I think one of the things that was delayed Again, was this agreement on a central carbon trading system. Can you give me a little bit of a background on this carbon trading system? And, you know, what does this mean? Is it disappointing? Do we think it's going to launch at some point? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's it's a complicated one, I think, for those who have kind of looked through some of like the, the legalese, if you will, and the reference to certain articles. There are a couple different articles uh, that refers specifically to the idea of offsets. Um, and the the kind of failure from this year's COP, or, or one of those that, that I would mention, of course, is, is that, as you said, Shaheen, it appears that negotiations on developing an international market to trade offsets uh, basically failed. So that's something that will be picked up, I guess, next year at, at COP29 in Azerbaijan. So to me, that's disappointing. In yes. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so to me, that's a big deal. I think you know, there's been a lot written um, in a lot of mainstream media about carbon offsets and the fact that you know, obviously the the market has kind of tanked uh, recently for for offsets, voluntary offsets. And when you start to read some of the kind of investigative reporting behind this, you can see why. You see a lot of examples of projects uh, where ultimately they were, you know, claiming to prevent X amount of deforestation, for example. And then if you compare it to kind of a benchmark, what they were claiming to be able to achieve was, you know, very exaggerated relative to the kind of benchmark levels of deforestation. And that ultimately meant that these projects were allowed to sell a lot of credits that ultimately didn't yield any climate benefit. 
Um, so I think that's pretty discouraging, um, you know, to, to know that there's this challenge in the offset market. And I think an international consensus on not only a trading system, but in terms of kind of protocols for uh, validating offsets is hugely important. Um, and to kind of kick that down the road again to next year, to me, you know, sets us up for this situation to continue, where ultimately, you know, perhaps there are a lot of offsets out there in the, in the market that, you know, are not achieving what they claim to achieve, um, and companies, you know, continuing to buy these. Um, so to me, that, that was a little bit disappointing. And it, of course, ties into the analysis that we spoke of. We know companies are relying on these instruments to, you know, achieve some of their targets. So if they're not credible, it calls into question the credibility of some of the carbon targets that we see there. So Eric, when you say the market tanked, you're saying there was, a, there was maybe a failure in price, right? Because the demand is still there. Because companies continue to buy these to meet their goals. Am I understanding that? Yes, right? that's that's my understanding. And you and I have had the pleasure of, of talking with people who are, you know, very engaged in, in carbon markets. Uh, Luke Oliver from, from Crane Shares was on earlier in the year, which which was a great conversation that we had. Um, and I think, you know, he spoke to it as well that, you know, obviously what they focus on there is really the regulatory, the compliance markets, less so uh, offsets. And I think, you know, the, the reason being is uh, what we saw, you know, in, in recent months is depending which market you're looking at, the voluntary carbon credits or offsets fell to below a dollar. Um, so really, you know, tanked significantly. So I would agree the... Uh, demand is there, although some companies seem to have kind of backed away from their use of, of offsets, given the uncertainty. Uh, but I think there's there's demand there. There's just concern about the kind of credibility and the meaningfulness, if you will, of those actual offsets. So as a result, the in my opinion, that, that led to the to the significant drop in the price. Okay. Yeah. And this carbon trading system, what does that need to have to reestablish faith? back into this market. Yeah, and I think this ultimately was the kind of stumbling block from what I understand in the negotiations. My understanding is the European Union, for example, wanted to make sure there were very, very strict standards used to ultimately verify offsets. Obviously, they have the EU ETS, um, the emissions trading system. So I think the concern there is if there's another market that pops up that some of their companies are potentially engaged in, it could call into question, you know, the the power of the ETS if they're able to buy offsets on a different market that were, you know, significantly different or different price. So, my understanding again is uh, that the negotiators from the EU were ultimately trying to make sure that there was uh, a stricter standard uh, in place for this international market to be set up. Uh, whereas I think the U.S. was kind of happy to go with what was proposed and kind of a less stringent approach, and ultimately that's that's where the failure or the breakdown happened. I think the stringent versus less stringent seems to be the theme of pretty much everything at COP, right? Phase yes. down, phase out, transition, all these different terms. Yes, I think that's a great way to summarize it, um, Absolutely. So, Eric, maybe just my last question to yep. you. I think I asked you this before you went for COP, but what do you think is the good, the bad, and the ugly? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question, and there's there's uh, there's so much good. I think you know, anytime you can have um, so many people from diverse backgrounds come together to discuss um, different solutions and different ideas, I think you know the net benefit of that is is always uh, pretty high. I think the conversations that we highlighted in this episode uh, with Jeff and Linda. And Angela kind of highlights some of the uh, diversity of perspectives and uh, work that that ultimately all the people at COP represent. So I think that's good. Ultimately, it's important, you know, for this topic to stay at the top of the global agenda. And I think, uh, you know, Angela alluded to this in in our conversation. Uh, but COP always provides a kind of a benchmark within the calendar year for everyone to do uh, a lot of interesting work, right? Even here at the BI team, you know, we release research that's timed to coincide with uh, COP every year. And I think that's good because it ultimately keeps it on the agenda and makes sure that people are continuing to to do to do good work. I think um, ultimately the, the bad is kind of what we alluded to before, which is I think we still don't ultimately see the type of language uh, and consensus around the phase out of fossil fuels that ultimately we need. And the question, of course, is, you know, as each year passes, we make incremental progress with these agreements, but is it really enough uh, when we think about trying to reduce emissions 43% by 2030, 65% by, by 2035? Like, are we really on that path or is it a, a lot of rhetoric leading up to it? So I would say that's that's maybe the the bad or the, the ugly component, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I would resonate with you. So from COP last year, I, I, see, I, I felt like it was, you know, different people, different walks in life yep. coming together to discuss one thing. Yep. And I don't mean to simplify climate as one thing, but one topic. And, you know, having people there for a week, even two weeks, gave them the time and the energy to not just, you know, run from one place to the other, but actually sit down and talk about it. Yep. That was my big takeaway from last year. So I would completely agree. Yeah. Absolutely. No, it is a, it is a unique event, uh, for sure. So I want to thank uh, Jeff, Linda, and Angela for joining me on the ground in Dubai, and Shaheen for joining me back here in the studio in New York. As always, I think COP provides for a myriad of outcomes that can hopefully translate into meaningful policy, and will undoubtedly yield a lot of great research and insight from the BIESG group. So for those of us on Terminal, you can find more information on all things climate-related by going to the Environmental tab on the ESG Team dashboard, BI space ESG Go. If you have an ESG quandary or burning question you would like to ask BI's expert analysts, send us an email at esgcurrents at bloomberg.net. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.